0: Well, what a wonderful journey Exodus has been as a church. And if you've been going through the book of Exodus with us, we've been in it some, I don't know, 20 weeks or so. Um, It's it's just been a fantastic journey. But that journey's coming to a close, church. Uh, Our journey in Exodus will be about another four or five weeks, and that's it. And and then we'll be closing up the book of Exodus. And, And so God, at this point in Exodus, has picked a man... Uh, That man's name is Moses. We've all journeyed with Moses. He's picked Moses to um, rescue the people out. Um, God has then rescued a specific people to make them a people, not just a group of people, but a specific family of His own. Uh, He's redeemed Israel from slavery at this point. And then God has saved the people from themselves. And the way that He's saved them from themselves is He's given them the commandments. And so we've looked at all the commandments of men. I pray that our journey through the commandments has been eye-opening for many of you guys just to see it in a whole new light of, of the point of the commandments is to point us to the cross. And, and so when, when people say, well, that Old Testament has nothing to do with Jesus. And, we just need to hang out in the New Testament, then you can clearly walk with them through all of Exodus and go, this Jesus is on every page. So they can see the, the majesty of Jesus in all things. So we've journeyed through that together. He's given them the Ten Commandments or the 613 Commandments. And I hope you've grasped really just the point of how stunning the Ten Commandments are. They're, they're stunning because the rest of... ...of creation is going, You're, you mean to tell me that you have a God who comes down to you? Like that was, like nobody thought that way about their gods. No God came down to humans. So this was stunning to them. And then they would go, not only that, but you mean to tell me that your God actually talks to you? Like nobody had a category for that. Their gods were so distant... And so you mean to tell me your God loves you enough to have a voice with you and give you commands? And so we hear the Ten Commandments and go, oh, no, Ten Commandments. They heard the Ten Commandments and went, God talks to us. Like, it was that big. It was that glorious. Um, for them, me and Brandon and Sennon and Eric were talking this, this week, and, and Brandon brought up this point, their gods to them only showed up in the form of you had crops or you didn't have crops. And so that's all they knew of their God. But the Israelites were, no, no, we talk to our God. That's the glory of these these commandments we've walked through. God wanted a personal relationship. God wanted to know their names. And He wants to know your name. He's that personal. He does know your name in His sovereignty. But, so now we've reached the point of God's done all these things and now God is going to build a house right smack dab in the middle of their community. That's how much he wants to get to know them. He wants to build, he wants to live among them now. Not only does he talk to them, not only does he come down to them, but now he wants to live among them, which is just a whole different level of personal relationship. God's kind of gone into preparation mode. If you will, many of us have gone into preparation mode. Me and Julie Beth went into preparation mode for... One of our children, um, we, were, we were having a little baby girl, and so we were getting ready for that. So we were, we were pumped about this moment. And, and so we, we did all the preparation necessary to have this little baby girl live amongst us. And uh, we went and got pink things. Um, we, we had uh, two baby showers for this little girl. Um, the baby showers were laden in pink, and, and so we got the room all prepared, we got the crib, it was the perfect little baby girl crib, and, and then we went and got the pottery barn uh, uh, thing where they don't bump their head, um, the, the thing, the non-bumping head thing, we went and got that thing, and the bumper. the bu- Thank you, bumper. <laughs> we got the bumper. Um, we got the rocking chair. You know, the rocking chair had to be just right and all this kind of stuff. Because if you go rock a baby girl, it's got to be just right. We got that right. And we had the, the lamp. We had the Hello Kitty. It was the whole thing was themed out Hello Kitty, Hello Kitty lamp. It was so, had the little Hello Kitty pillow. It was just stunning for this little arrival. We were preparing for her to live amongst us. Here we go. Julie Beth carries this child for a long, long time. Past due. <laughs> so we, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting. So we go to the doctor. And you know, the doctor's, hey, look, uh, okay, uh, you are late and, and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, we're going to check out the amniotic fluid. And there was plenty of amniotic fluid. and uh, It's great. It's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But we really do have one major problem. And I, as a dad, am like free. free you, you. I'm already in war mode for my baby girl. Are you kidding me? What, what's going on? And he goes, this is not a girl. <laughs> this is a boy. <laughs> to which I'm freaking out. And little Abby Kate became Kobe Balin. <laughs> but we prepared for this little girl to come live amongst us, which maybe explains why he loves Hello Kitty so much. Things. I, don't <laughs> I don't know. But we prepared... That's all a true story. True, true story. Um, but all that to say this, God is prepared in coming through this tent and tabernacle moment to live amongst his people in that same level of intimacy. So however, if you don't get anything else we get out of this text today, Don't ever think of the tent and tabernacle of Israel as this weird, odd thing stuck right in the middle of a desert of ritual that they had to pull off. If you don't get anything else, get. It's the same as a loving mother preparing for their child to be amongst them. That's what's going on in this text. So, with that said, church, I hope you're going to be stunned today at the preparation and love that God put into these passages for His people. This is an intensely specific and intentional God that we serve who wants to meet with His family very dearly. So Exodus, get ready for it. Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 31. (laughs) I know, that's a lot of text. And you're like, look, we've taken three verses and Tyler's gone two hours. How are we going to get seven chapters... In the time that we have, well, I think you'll see that in a minute. But I do want to read just the beginning of this, and then let's look at it together. Chapters 25 through 31, um, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you will receive from them, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, um, and the fragrance incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastplate. Do you see the tie in here? I want all, you get it right. Bear no expense. When you go to Pottery Barn, turn down this aisle, pick this thing off of Bay 2. I need this. This specific for my children. And verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary. Make me a sanctuary. Because I'm coming to them. Make me a sanctuary so you shall make it. And I can sum up the next six chapters with pictures. So for all of you who are like, finally it's picture day. Uh, Well, today is going to be your day. So the next six chapters is this. This is what pops up. Now, um, chapters 25 through 31 is all about this God who's going to come near. And he's going to command this, this tent and this tabernacle to be built. And anywhere that they go through the wandering of the wilderness... It's going to go with them and it's got to be specific. And everything from the ledges to the stones to the ropes to the everything is specifically laid out. And so you can see this is going to be in the center of their community. And then their tents and then their dwelling places will be all surrounded all around. This is what's going on. So maybe just kind of a, a closer honed in view is the next slide. This kind of gives you an idea of, you can see on the right, this football field versus the size comparison of what the tabernacle intent looked like. So you've got a big football field. Well, this is kind of the size of of what the tabernacle intent looked like (laughs) and the way that it's all laid out and, and maybe some more of this specific thing. So you can see these slaughter tables as you come into the courtyard and then you've got these different items. So maybe we need to zoom in just a little bit closer to see what's going on. Back in the back, you've, you've got this place where the Holy of Holies dwells. And so not only in the court tabernacle and all the things that are going, you finally can come into another tent inside the tent that's covered with different layers, very specific. You can't just throw it up, it's very specific. And so people could kind of walk into this, and we'll kind of go through this in just a second that had a few more elements in, in all of this. But the details in all of these chapters come down to the ledges, the gems the rings on which the Ark of the Covenant, how they're fastened, the poles that go through them, the curtains, the fabrics, the colors, the sizes, the numbers, the participants, the lamps, the oil, even down to the oil of how the oil was to be beaten out, the oil, the offerings, the animals, the procedures, the craftsmen. You even get to the latter parts of this chapter. I I implore you to go home and read this for yourself today because we won't have time to read it together. But even specific people are named who's going to do specific things. Like, I need this person to pull this off. This is how detailed the Lord is. Everything had to be just right. Just right. And so the question would be, why? Why did everything have to be just right? I want to propose three answers to that. Number one. Number one reason that everything had to be just right was because our holy God wanted to be with an unholy people. And so for holiness to come into the presence of unholiness, there had to be some things worked out. Or else he would walk into unholiness and tarnish his own self. He would be unjust to himself. And so these things had to be specific and, 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 and precise and everything had to be just right. But the beautiful thing is that we've got a loving God in this who delights in redeeming broken people. So if you look at the tent and the tabernacle, it's, it's this beautiful picture. There's this Lord who loves His people so much that even in their brokenness, He wants to come and be amongst them and will do whatever it takes to make that happen. I want to be careful about this because our concept a lot of times can be that there was this God who needed to be around people. Our God did not need anything. He was perfectly sufficient in and of Himself in His holiness. But in His grace, He wanted to come amongst His creation. That's who our God is. And so maybe I should say this before we go into point number two. If your concept of God is this lurching, ominous, killjoy God who's looking around to zap you at every turn, wipe that out of your brain. That's an unbiblical perception of who God is. God is a loving God who loves His people and His creation and desires in and of His grace to show His holiness so that He can redeem an unholy people to Himself. It's a beautiful picture of who the Lord really is. So why the tent and the tabernacle? Because there had to be specific, intentional reasons why in which He could come and this was just part of it. Number two, why? Because our holy God wanted to give us a temporary glimpse of his eternal substitutionary plan. Making what is temporary become reality forever. And I think that the whole picture of everything that we've seen is in and of itself a picture of the gospel. Now before we flip over to that slide, hear what I'm saying. When you look at the tent and the tabernacle, I pray that you'll walk away seeing it today as, Oh my stars! The way that it's laid out is the gospel. Like, what I'm telling you is the specific way it's laid out is the gospel, even back in Exodus. You've heard me say several times, church. You've heard me say over and over and over the Bible is all about Jesus. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation, all of it points to His glory. What I'm about to show you is even the way that the temple is set up is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So let's look at this together. It'll be on the screen above. And I want you to walk through with me. So the temple, you had this outer region, and outside of that is where all of the unholy people lived. You, you, you couldn't come in this unless you were part of the nation of Israel. So you would enter in. Well, as you enter in, immediately you're having to walk through something... To get to God. You walk in. The first thing that you would come to is the courtyard. So the courtyard is... <laughs> at least I'm in. Right? Now this is the psalmist crying out, Better is... How many days? Day. Better is one day. <laughs> give me one day in your court. Then than what? Then thousands elsewhere. Just give me one day. One day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. So... You walk in, you're now in the courtyard. But that, you have to come up to an altar to go any further. And on this altar, there's sacrifice. And there's animal sacrifice. So they were slaughtered and they brought them to this table, this bronze altar. They're on the bronze offer. There's to gain more access, there has to be a slaughter by blood. There has to be. And so the, the blood is spilled, it's burnt. After that moment, then you walk up to the bronze laver... The bronze laver then gives you a cleansing. So after you've walked in, after you've confessed, you can then walk in to get this cleansing. So they get the washing and the cleansing. At that moment, they're able to walk up to the inner tent, if you will. And then they have to walk into that through another veil. You walk into that to worship. So once you walk into worship and you've gained access through the sacrifice, through the cleansing, then you come into this room that has three elements. It's got the showbread. The showbread is... Twelve pieces of bread that are stacked on top of each other, all reminding the nation of Israel there are twelve of you tribes, and all twelve tribes will constantly be reminded of my love for you because I gave you what? Bread. Now you remember the manna? See how this is all tying in now? And it's a reminder that God is amongst His people, providing for His people, giving bread where there is no bread. And so there's going to be this that reminds the nation once you come into that, that this is available, God's presence is always with you. There's also the branch lampstand, which is where menorahs are. If you've ever wondered where menorahs came from, this is where the menorah comes from. And so in there you've got these candles. Well, candles do what? They give light. So as a constant reminder, I am your light. I'm your light in the midst of darkness. I'm here. I'm here for you to illuminate the path, to provide for you. And then on that, then you'd move a little bit closer to this veil uh, that, that we see here on the edge. And you get to the altar of incense. This altar of incense is constantly burning. The lamp is constantly glowing. The priests are charged with keeping this thing going constantly. You get to the altar of incense reminding you that the person who was outside because of God, not because of anything that we've done, because of what God has done, you're now able to come in Because of sacrifice, find cleansing. Because cleansing, enter into worship. Entering into worship, being reminded of His presence, being reminded of His light. And then you get to the altar of incense, which constantly has smoke going up as a reminder that your prayers are constantly arising before the Lord. And He's listening. Not just lobbing them up, hoping. But it's a constant reminder that I receive your worship, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done. It's a beautiful picture. And then, dear friend, and a lot of you guys know what happens next, then you enter into the Holy of Holies, of which only one person could enter. Nobody could come further. And that inside of that little veil there was the Holy of Holies, and at the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, This is what Indiana Jones went looking for, right? So we've got the Ark of the Covenant, and it's got these cherubim on top of it, and their wings are facing each other. And inside of it, you've got the the tablet stones that sit there, and God's presence rested right there in between those two angels, and it was called the mercy seat. So if you've sang the song, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running to the mercy seat... Um, Andrew, I don't think we've ever done that one. Britt, can we pull that one off? That would have been a great song for today, but nonetheless. So in this, God's presence rested. So he guarded himself with all of these things and let his presence rest right there. Now catch all of this. An unholy people who do not deserve his presence. He says, I will come and dwell among you here. And I'll grant you access to me not because you deserve it but simply because I love you even as broken people. It's crazy. So if you've ever experienced God's love it's not because you shined yourself up good enough to earn it. It's because He graciously gave it to you. So in this moment we've got the Holy of Holies we've got this veil we've got this ark but here's the problem again. Only one person can go into the Holy of Holies. And you guys know this, what occurs here in the Holy of Holies is once a year, at the time of atonement, the high priest, who's specially chosen, specially cleansed, specially prepared, he's able to enter in. So much so, so dangerous, a lot of you guys know this, they tied what to his leg? Tied a rope that had a what? A bell on it. Yeah, they tied a rope that had a bell on it because he would climb in there because if he had anything in and of himself that was unholy, um, he would die there at the altar and they would have to drag him out. This was the point of this rope. And so he would have to go in. But what would happen is there would be two goats. They would have one goat that the blood would be spilled, and this priest would grab this blood and be in a bucket, and he would go in. And you can imagine, this is a nervous moment for the whole nation of Israel. But you can bank on it. It was real nervous for that one brother that was going in. Right? So he's going in with this blood, and he's going in to offer, and he's taking the blood of that bull, and he spreads it all over the ark. I mean... You maybe have seen pretty pictures of arcs and how they're real pretty and shiny. This, dear friend, was a bloody mess. It was like a haunted house horror show. Okay, But the blood is what the Father demanded. And, and so it's there, and the blood is everywhere. And it's, it's all over the place. And he goes and he offers, and then he would walk out in that other goat. He would lay his hand on that goat, still with bloody hand. And he would lay his hand on that goat. And in that moment, He would offer the sins of the people of the nation of Israel onto that goat's head. They would then take that goat called the scapegoat out of the court, let it go, and it would run free. Again, picturing that our sin had been placed on that goat, sent free. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because of the great love of the Father. It's substitution. Church, that... It's the gospel and it's great love for you all the way back in the book of Exodus. So with that said, we make it to number three. Why did God do this? Why did he have this ark? Why all these things? He wanted to be with this unholy people. He wanted to give this glimpse of the eternal substitutionary plan. And then number three, God wanted his people to know that rest is only found in him. All else would just be wandering in the wilderness, traveling on their exodus. And in this moment, he wanted them to see this. Chapter 31, we've made it. See, we just made it through six chapters of the Bible. Church. That's the fastest safe havens ever made it through. Chapter 31, verse 12 through 17. Here's what he says. And the Lord said to Moses, after all of those plans for that to be built, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed in verse 18 where we'll close our time today. And he gave Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony tablets of stone written with the finger of God. All of this A beautiful display of the Lord coming to us because He loves us. So at the beginning, I said God was so loving that He would build a house right in the middle of the community. But as a Christian who lives post-cross, it gets even better than that. It gets more stunning than that. And hopefully today I've already got you to see this is stunning in and of itself. So how could it get any better than that? That it would be better than a God coming and making preparation of Him. How could it get any better than that? Let me read you three passages of Scripture for us who are believers cling to these words. Colossians 1, 27 But God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in a temple? No! Which is Christ in a tent? No! Which is Christ in you? The hope of glory. Colossians goes on to say this, 3 verse 3. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then Ephesians 1 goes on to say it this way. And in Him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now check this. You, if you're a believer, are a God sandwich. You can walk away and go, I'm a God sandwich. Troy, I don't know what that means. Let me explain it to you, right? And now I'm hungry and I want a sandwich. Um, so here's what this means. It's a beautiful picture. The nation of Israel, wandering in the wilderness, has no hope. God says, I want to come among you. I'm going to temple. I'm a, build this way and do this and kill this and slaughter this and cleanse this, that you can get a little closer. And There's going to be one guy who gets us kind of close, but you still can't get totally in there. But one guy can kind of get in there. But I'm going to do all this because I love you, and I want to hang out with you. Think about the people that you want to hang out with. Like that's the people you dearly love. Our Father delights in you in the same way. So I want to be near you. I want to hang out with you. I want to, this is what's got to be prepared for. You. We hang out and all this kind of stuff. So, so, all this kind of stuff. This is great and this is glorious. And we look at this and go, this is awesome. And then Jesus, post cross, says, Now I'm going to take it a whole nother level. I don't want to just be in your proximity, but because of my substitution for you, I will come and dwell inside of you. I, God, the hope of us. Is Christ in us the hope of glory? So, Christ no longer in a temple, out of the temple, in you. Christ is in you. In you. Woe is me. Today's church day. I got to kind of get ready and go to church. Christ in you. The hope of glory. That God, the one who dwelled among the mercy seat, in you, the hope of glory. Never walk away going, oh, I'm humdrum. If you're a believer in Christ, the hope is Christ in you. But he doesn't leave it there. Colossians goes on to say, not only is he in you, but you are then hidden inside of God. So Christ is in you. God surrounds you. You're now hidden in him. We're already sandwiched, pretty good. But then he Ziploc bags the whole thing in Ephesians 1 saying, because of what Christ has done, not only is he in you, not only is he around you, but then the Holy Spirit takes all of that, stuff sitting in the Ziploc bag, and seals it for the day of redemption. That's how loved you are by the Lord if you're a believer in Christ. And that should get your holy giddies jumping inside your heart. That's the extent to which you are loved, beloved ones. And then John 1 14 wraps it all up and says this The word became flesh and dwelt, Greek word, tabernacled among us. What if you built a picture? It's mind blowing, church. It's mind blowing. Never think that if you're a believer, you're not loved. He's with you. He's with you today. He is with you as you eat lunch today, as you eat that entire sleeve of Oreos. He's with you. He's here with you today as you balance your checkbook. He's with you. And then eat the other sleeve of Oreos. He's with you today as you go to the batting cage. He's with you today when you're cramming for that test that you didn't study for. He's with you today when you do your homework. He's with you today when you take that holy Sabbath nap. It's it's, it's in the Bible. As a matter of fact, it said if you don't take a nap today, you'll die. I think that's kind of what the text was getting at, something about Sabbath. He's with you today when you rest. He's with you today when you feel isolated by the world. He's with you when you don't understand what has happened in your life. He's with you. He's with you when you're wondering. He is tabernacling in you, around you, and sealing you. He is with you. And Ada Habershon got this in a way that I think is going to be beautiful and is going to lead us as we continue to worship. She understood that God wasn't just tabernacling near, but if you have believed in the gospel, uh, that you are being bear hugged, if you will, by the Lord. Ada was an author, a biblicist, a composer. If you've heard of Charles Spurgeon, um, she was in his inner circle with Dwight L. Moody and these guys. She was. She was. It's it's quite astonishing the books that this lady has written. But nonetheless, caught up in this relentless love of Christ as seen through the Old Testament and the Exodus. This is the same lady that... You've heard the song, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? You've heard that song? This is the same lady that wrote that song. Caught up in this, she writes this. Well, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. The tabernacle intent should teach us, if anything, that the Lord doesn't just tolerate you, but He delights in you. Precious in His holy sight, He will hold me fast, like a mother preparing for her newborn to arrive in the room. You're that precious through the blood of Christ. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. The one who authored your faith will perfect your faith. That's Lenny's hope. And that's my hope. And that's your hope. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Church, He's with you. Not because you're lovable. But because He is that lovely. Let's pray together. Lord, once again. The book of Exodus. Kind of pray as we have examined this text, and just kind of let it washed over us. I pray for the person in this room who is hell bent on self help and making themselves clean enough, pure enough, smiley enough, giddy enough. Nice enough, humble enough, who's tried all the life hacks to kind of clean themselves up to come to you. God, I pray that that unbelieving soul would die to themselves today and see through the tent and tabernacle there was nothing the nation of Israel could do to clean up, that you had to come before them, that you had to provide the sacrificial way, that you had to enter into the Holy of Holies. I think they'll see it's all about Jesus, that it's all about you, that it really is not what we can do or don't do, but it's about what you have done. I think they'll see that today. And they'll cherish Jesus in a whole new way. And then for the faithful believer, who right now is about to explode in worship of the Holy Spirit's sealing and then the spirit, Jesus' work for us on the cross and the Father's work surrounding us Lord Jesus would you wash them afresh and anew that it really is rest for them that because of the gospel they can Sabbath in every aspect of their life that they cannot just have temporal giddiness that they can have joy eternal lasting joy that speaks beyond what we can understand. So Lord Jesus, as we continue in worship, Lord, would you save people? Would you draw people to yourself? Would you overcome people's resistance that the person in here who has not repented of their sin, confessed Christ as Lord, believed on Him, followed through in baptism? Lord, that you would indeed rescue their heart and show them how the extent to which you've loved them through Christ. And Lord Jesus, again, for the believer, would you refresh in our hearts the fact that on the cross, you ripped the veil in half so we could approach the altar, the mercy seat of your presence. So, Lord, I guess what I'm asking is as we worship, would you tabernacle among your believers right now?